This is Red Skies, brought to you by Karen Maroos and Kelly Doherty. Produced by Medley Shabazz. Red Skies is real educated discussions on sustainability knowledge impacting every society. We're people that work in sustainability and also went to school for sustainability, which is where we met and became friends. Our goal is to continue to learn and to inspire ourselves and others to do better. We'll tell stories about sustainability and answer questions like, Why should I care? Why should I care? Why should I care? What is a carbon footprint? We are New Yorkers leading regular lives and doing our best to live sustainably, but we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers, but together we will search for them. This is Red Skies. Hey Kelly. So as you know, I was recently invited to participate in a panel for an organization called Deep Talks. And the panel was on sustainability in a post-COVID world. It was just a really interesting and inspiring conversation for a few reasons. One, because it was truly a global conversation. Uh, I was actually one of the few uh, people calling in from the US, um, but there were both people on the panel and people in the audience from Europe and from Asia and from all over the world, which was just so great to hear other perspectives on these topics. And also the format was just a really beautiful way to kind of share information and not let it just be a one-way conversation. So people listening in on the panel were also invited to join secondary small room conversations with each of the panelists and really be able to provide their perspective as well. And I love that there was a two-way conversation instead of what we often see on panels, which is a one-way conversation. Uh, So, you know, we really wanted to highlight it on the podcast and share this with our audience too. So we invited Julia and Allison, the founders of Deep Talks, to come on and share a little bit of information with us about Deep Talks and what they took away from this one particular panel. And then what we'll do is jump right into some highlights from the panel itself. And this will just be kind of short clips from the highlights. Uh, And if you want more and want to hear the whole thing, we'll also have that linked on our website, redskiespodcast.com. So Kelly, hope you enjoy and hope our listeners enjoy as well. Here we go. So Julia, maybe you can tell us a little bit about why why you decided to start Deep Talks. Yes, sure. So... As I've mentioned, um, Berlin is not my hometown. And um, when I have moved here, I did not have any uh, friend circle. So I had to start from scratch. And it was uh, honestly quite a challenge. And it took me more than six years finally getting into a situation where I felt myself really home. And a big part of feeling home is really having those people around you which somehow resonate in a similar wavelength. So as an expert, I know uh, firsthand how challenging it can be to really like find your tribe. And Deep Talks started very spontaneously. I moved into new apartment and invited few girls who I knew simply to celebrate this moment. And they did not know themselves between each other. But 
the conversation suddenly went so well that last guests left after the sunset. Do both of you have some, maybe some key takeaways that you took from that panel on sustainability or some key moments out of that that you want to highlight? I felt incredibly inspired to um, understand that sustainability really is a much broader concept than simply environment, that it is interconnectedness of actually three elements uh, of environment, uh, social element, and economy, that we should really think about uh, them as a system and of course understanding that our environment is the bottom of the pyramid because we can uh, build new economy we can create new social structures but if something happened with our habitat then there is no way we can get a second one i tend to fall into the camp of being totally overwhelmed by sustainability i try to be mindful of my choices on a daily basis but it certainly feels like I'm a very small fish in a very large sea. Um, and I think that that can be overwhelming. And um, I understand, I mean, in the panel, we also talked about how one of the biggest ways to make an impact, of course, is to, you know, it's wonderful to eat properly and be mindful of your travel and all these little things, but it's also just about getting involved and getting the powers that be involved and all of these larger issues. So in our conversation after the event, one of the um, members who was in my group, we were talking about how so many of the choices that we make, we are not 100% sure if we are making the right choice or not. So um, Lubomila made an example or used an example during the talk that I also uh, mentioned during the panel that was um, she said that you have to use a tote bag 176 times until it compensates for what a paper bag would be in terms of emissions. For me, that was so surprising because you think like a tote bag is the sustainable choice. That's what we're supposed to be doing when really it just made me realize how little I know. You know, that's really interesting, Allison, because we've actually discovered that too through our podcast, that almost every discussion we've had has come back to, well, there's not a lot of information for consumers or for anybody to be able to know what the good decision is and how much effort goes into actually finding finding um, you know the sustainable choice. So that is a really good takeaway. Um, we we found the same. But the good thing is little changes that every individual makes does count. They they count. Um, so if we can get people to make small adjustments in their lives and just think about something before they make a purchase or you know, uh, you know, go out to a, a certain store or anything like that, then we're making progress. So little by little, I think um, we're all doing, we're, we're doing positive by uh, educating. Yes, I can fully agree with you on this, that basically the primary uh, driver of change are consumers who ultimately influence by their purchase decisions as a market. If I want now to have these smoothies and healthy snacks and all uh, bio and green, uh, now we have it what was not there on the shelves like 10 years ago. So if sooner we say we won't have less plastic packaging, uh, also the industry will adapt much faster than probably 
just uh, waiting until some legislations uh, will come in place and force. But how does it start? Where does it start? Um, it starts basically with our wishes and emotions. Because even if rational brain says it is good for environment, it is good for something, until I really want it, uh, this is probably where really I will make certain decision. I will compromise convenience. I will go extra mile to get to that bio store. So being passionate yourself and showing others real value, why you're passionate and why other people should care about, this is the way. This is like how I feel it and like, yeah, uh, multiple research uh, in the end says that, yeah, our emotions and wishes um, win over the needs. So we need to make environmental topics, sustainability, really a topic of like concern. It is not a question of convenience versus sustainability. It should be a part of it. Uh, we believe that quality of questions defines the quality of our lives. Julia and Allison, thank you so much for sharing your story about Deep Talks. Now I think is a good time for us to jump in and hear some of the panel discussion that we've heard so much about. Enjoy. Hi everyone. Um, I'm Allison, the co-founder of Deep Talks and the moderator for this evening's conversation. Uh, thank you all for being here. So a little bit about Deep Talks. Um, Deep Talks brings people together to skip the small talk and connect meaningfully over topics that matter. Um, today's crisis inspired us to level up the conversation from personal and philosophical topics that we usually talk about um, and turn to some questions that affect us all as a society. So this is how Corona Talks was born. Um, it's our series of live panels and small group discussions to help us and our audience engage with these topics and inspire us all to take action. Um, tonight is our final episode of the series, and we're diving into the question, is now our chance to build a more sustainable world? Let's get started with introducing our wonderful panelists. So we have Lubomila Jordanova, who is the founder and CEO of Plan A Earth, a Berlin-based startup developing an algorithm that predicts where and how climate change will hit the hardest, as well as a software that helps businesses monitor their sustainability and reduce their carbon footprint. Uh, we have with us Daniel Hires, who is in Barcelona. Um, he spent eight years building and growing the social innovation ecosystem in Berlin and beyond. Finally, we have Karen Maroos, who is with us from New York. She works to ensure that the buildings where people live and work are better for both the planet and the well-being of the people inside them. So um, on this note, let's get started. Some countries have been slower to take action than others, but overall, I've been really impressed um, just to see how quickly governments have been able to spring into action in the face of this crisis. So um, are there any lessons we can learn in, in terms of sustainability that we can apply from the um, response to coronavirus? Generally, I believe the best moment for taking action is always now. So definitely now is the best time. And about the big questions, I mean, they've been opened up by the situation. I mean, everywhere I go, everyone I talk to has these big situations about where are we going? What is the future bringing? And, and I think that's really good because a lot of people that I talk to are reconnecting with themselves and their motivations and like their, their values that they hold and how they can express those in the actions that they take. 
And to me, someone that has shaped my thinking a lot is Naomi Klein. And she keeps putting out the sentence, or it keeps getting quoted, that only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. And that when that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are lying around. And that was actually by kind of her opponent, Milton Friedman. And yeah, that's really why I'm interested in what ideas are currently lying around on the ground on how we structure life, communities interact with each other, and kind of the mental models below that. To me, what has been quite fascinating is to uh, see how people can unite and how people can be able to connect to one another with meaningful and tangible uh, results in mind uh, overnight. And I think this for me has been a validation that we are a lot beyond the problems that we speak about on a daily basis. And the truth is that with regards to sustainability, we stand a really big chance of actually being able to address the issues and being able to respond to climate change, uh, having seen how we've responded to climate, uh, sorry, to COVID. Daniel, I think that point about connecting the planet and people's health is very important during this time. And maybe all of us can just spend a minute talking about that connection very clearly, because I don't think it's obvious to everyone. I know one thing that has come up here, and you know, I'll speak a lot to the US and, and specifically New York City because that's where I am and, and that's where I'm experiencing this. But one thing that's come up is certain communities have been more affected by the crisis than others. Well, why? Well, because some communities face higher incidences of asthma and other respiratory issues because they're, they're uh, closer to bus lines, they're closer, they're, uh, there's more traffic, the air quality is not as good. They haven't had the same uh, response on environmental issues that other communities have had. So those, those communities are harder hit physically by a major health pandemic such as COVID. I think it's really important to draw those lines so that people see, you know, when we talk about environmental issues and sustainability, it's not just uh, tree hugging and it's not just because it's nice to have uh, plants and animals, which it is, but it's because it's actually important for our health and the long-term sustainability of our communities. If I can add to that, I think that it's become really obvious now that the way we treat the natural world affects our well-being and that that is not something individual, but that is a social issue that we need to come together around. And I think a third thing is that you can really see the impact of compounding interests or compounding growth and that you need to act really quickly to, to stop it as soon as possible. And that oftentimes when you're feeling already the results, it might be too late to stop it in the, in the very short term. Um, and if I can add to this, Karen, this is such a powerful point you made. Uh, and for those of uh, the people on this planet that also need uh, another validation of why sustainability is important, there's plenty of studies that validate that you can save a lot of money, which is kind of the speech of the day at the moment. And also that you can unlock an incredible economic opportunity for a lot of not only countries, but also companies. And I think we don't speak enough about this side of sustainability. There's still this label of sustainability being an expensive uh, 
peanut butter uh, kind of that has been produced uh, on in another continent and uh, has traveled a long way the truth is is that sustainability is minimalism it's our way of thinking that enables us to make more of the resources that we have and make more uh, uh, beneficial choices along the way of having access to these resources, which is certainly not what we are doing, I would say, at a larger scale these days. Here's a good tool, a good place for us to kind of find this information to kind of help us make these decisions about like what is actually more sustainable and what is like we just think it feels more sustainable. Uh, if I can start on this, because I had an epiphany uh, a few years ago after reading a book called uh, How Bad uh, Are Bananas. Um, it's by a fantastic uh, economist and uh, turned like incredibly big enthusiast related to climate change. He's a climate data scientist, but also uh, has the economic perspective. And um, he calculates uh, essentially every single activity that a modern person from the 20th century would be, uh, uh, you know, doing on day-to-day -day basis. And what is it? What are the reflections of uh, these activities in terms of CO2 emissions? And he calculates how much is a Google search, how much is a banana, how much is an orange. Uh, I'll put the link in the chat. Uh, but why I'm giving this example, first of all, is definitely to recommend the book because it's really practical. Um, I think that what the book teaches you on a fundamental level is that there's um, there's a negative impact. There's a trace of every single activity that you uh, undertake on day-to-day -day basis. And uh, it's not for us to feel guilty about this because at the end of the day, even a fox, even a squirrel has an uh, impact on this planet that is not necessarily positive. Uh, and it's one part of the cycle. Uh, but... It is really important for us to understand ourselves as this part of, uh, uh, as an aspect of the cycle, as a contributing factor that is not dominant, that is not the only one, that is not the manager, that is not kind of, uh, you know, defining how the system works. The system has worked a lot before us, and the system is going to work even if we continue with our destructive behavior, because we're going to be the ones that disappear, not the planet. Um, so, I think. Finding this information is really useful, but also thinking of ourselves as kind of a part of a cycle and also as uh, humans that could be also, uh, you know, using a lot less because we are over consuming significantly uh, can help us just to embed a mindset that even without the statistics makes us better humans and better citizens, I would say, of this planet. Thank you for that. I mean, and of course, you know, the media has been saying so much about how much this this crisis has made the air cleaner and the water cleaner and all these things. And I mean, it just strikes me that, of course, like there are some temporary benefits um, and maybe, but what really matters is kind of like how we decide to react. Um, and of course, like governments putting into place different restrictions or uh, letting go of restrictions on climate to help businesses grow um, in this time of crisis. like. This all, um, it really just depends upon our values. And so I guess my question for you is, for all of you is, do you think that this is a moment where we can really, uh, are people's values really changing in the long term, or is this just like a blip? Um, I can start, um, I'll start by saying, you know, in, in one of the chats we had prior to this, 
panel discussion, the panelists got on the phone and talked a little bit about these topics. And the media is talking about it specifically. I think environmentalists are talking about some of the quote unquote benefits, right, of what's going on today. And and one thing I shared is that we we can't call anything in this moment a benefit while we're in this major health crisis. And I, I you know, I do personally see that as a bit short-sighted because we don't know how it will all unfold. And and um, there have there has been information which I know we can share more about about counterbalancing. Yes, we paused on emissions, right? Because no one's traveling to work or doing whatever they normally do. Uh, but that doesn't mean we've long-term solved some kind of issue. And sustainability in and of itself is meant to sustain. So it's meant to be long-term and holistic. So just to speak to that context piece you laid out, Allison, which was a really good point. And I, you know, as far as like what is going to change, the truth is I don't know. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, for people, you know, for individuals, hopefully there's there's a bit of a return to some of the basics, right? Family, community, giving back. Uh, largely though, for companies, I think there will be a shift. I don't know what it will look like, but just the ability of people to work virtually, to work in different capa uh, capacities. I think whole industries have been entirely disrupted in a very obvious, self-evident way by this pandemic. And I think, you know, the, the most innovative will, will shift the way they've traditionally done business. And I'm just as eager as everyone else to see how that unfolds. Uh, you know, right now, I don't think there, I have a, an answer for that. Yeah, thank you for that reminder, Karen. And I absolutely agree that like whatever these positive stories we see, those are very quickly going to rebound back. And even if we look at CO2 emissions, I mean, the projections are by the end of the year, they'll go down five, six, maybe even seven to eight percent. And if we take seriously what the UN is saying, they are saying we need to reduce by 7.6 percent every year of this decade to avoid catastrophic climate change. And so, you know, like, look at all the things that we're not doing right now. And yes, there is a lot of things that we're not buying so much trash anymore, and that we are maybe a bit more mindful about things, but we're also doing a lot of things that are what make us human. I mean, my daughter hasn't seen her grandmother in, you know, like so, such a long time, except for on, on video calls. And so I think that, this is not an environmental solution. We are living in a crisis and we shouldn't see it as, you know, a, a solution. And I'm with Karen as well on who knows how it will turn out. I think for me, I'm pretty sure that we won't go back to kind of business as usual. But the question really is how, how will it be different? So in the interest of, um, of educating ourselves and getting ourselves to this point where we're sophistic sophisticated enough to make these decisions and choose the um, more sustainable option, so what would you say, and this is for everyone, are just like a few really actionable ways for us to make a positive change? Um, you know, I think for me, one thing when I talk to individuals that ask this question is just to look at, at their habits. Um, Lou earlier mentioned that you know, like in sustainability to minimalism. And I thought that was a really good point. Uh, 
think about how you consume. I know here in the U.S., consumerism is a major issue, and it is truly a, a global issue as well. So just think about tracking what you use. And, you know, to make this simple, I'll just talk about products that we use, but you could also think about energy, you could think about water, you could think about a lot of different ways to look at this. What do you buy? How long do you use it for? How do you get rid of it? You know, where does it come from? Asking yourself these questions when you're, again, making your buying decisions, where does it come from? What factors are you taking into consideration when you buy it? And think about where it goes when it leaves you. Just, just Does it just disappear into the ether? Or do you think it actually ends up somewhere? Because there is no such thing as just putting something outside your house and then you never have to think about it or deal with it again, even though that's what it feels like. So I would say, you know, the biggest thing for me that the individual can do is, is look at their patterns and behaviors when it comes to their their consumption and start with small changes and let them evolve from there. And what are a couple, if you don't mind, like what are a couple habits that we might not even realize or maybe even the question could be if we had to make one change, like what is one of the most impactful things that we can do just with our like everyday kind of habits? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it kind of depends on where you are and what your current habits look like. So um, we, mo many people know that you know, and it's come up a few times on this call that eating meats, red meat, eating cow products is, uh, it can be, can have a major impact because that part of the food industry and the food chain contributes a lot to our greenhouse gas emissions in a very direct way. Um, so, you know, if, if you're an avid meat eater, maybe it's cutting out meat one day, one day a week, or if you buy, uh, big cases of water bottles and that's what you use to drink water at home. Maybe it's thinking about using your glasses or using reusable water bottles. So I do think it's individualized and I think it's based on where you live. Um, some places are more water vulnerable than others. So how long do you have the faucet on for? Uh, whereas some places are water secure. So that's not as much of an issue. So you really have to kind of understand where you are. But I would say start with looking at the things around you in your home and seeing what's an obvious place where I can make a difference and what and what's the easiest like what's the path of least resistance if if cutting out meat feels like a huge step even one day a week then just start with something easier start with cutting out one water bottle a day or one plastic bag that you use a day and and you know make sure that you're using your reusable tote enough to get its full value out of it if you have any money and are investing money or you have a pension fund or you someone is putting money away for you somehow, why don't you ask them how could that be put into an impact investment or at least just a socially responsible investment? Um, I think that's a huge issue that a lot of people are, have not really begun to tackle yet of what kind of change their money funds. And well, as I said earlier, I think this engaging collectively is really important. And now I think we've also seeing like uh, kind of the starts of it that like community is being created where it wasn't before. There's a lot more local networks, mutual aid networks. Um, I think there's a lot in that that will really kind of change what's underneath our society and then will eventually kind of surface in terms of, of events. And I think finally, 
well, the, the way that we show up and manifest ourselves, I think, is also quite important. I mean, even if you have, like, let's say, a normal job with normal people, normal colleagues, like, I think you can bring those relationships to a different level of, of conversation and, and ultimately consciousness, I guess, you know, with, like, good, good talks, deep talks, and, you know, like... Uh, Bring, bring out really the best in people like on, on that level as well. And I think that uh, can have an impact. Um, if we could be optimistic yet realistic, what could a post-coronavirus world look like? If I may start, uh, one thing that I have a lot of certainty about is that the world post-corona would be a lot more humble. Um, and it's because people fear and have been fearing for, uh, you know, a lot of aspects about their life because normality in a human's mindset means security and security means uh, you understanding what's happening um, and how uh, we're creatures of habit and we are uh, quite happy to stay in the same setup and be comfortable uh, even though people say, you know, uh, all the magic happens outside of your comfort zone. Um, and but what this what this virus brought on us is an opportunity actually to see our boundaries in terms of fear, uh, concern, and also uh, I would say uh, belonging. And um, I see how people have been a lot more mindful over the last few months, and I think this is what they're going to continue being. On one hand, maybe because they still fear that there's going to be a second wave, there could be further repercussions of COVID. But on the other hand, because of the fact that they have seen what it could bring on us uh, to go through this challenge and um, taking the repercussions on yourself now can kind of support you to not go into it again. So um, my realistic perspective is that we would be more humble um, and I would hope more mindful, but that I cannot confirm. Uh, and I'll just add, you know, I think one thing I mentioned earlier on, I think to, to that point, actually, there's kind of more of an awareness of risk uh, for, for people, for businesses, for countries. And I, I think the, frame, the framing of that as like a humbleness is a really beautiful way of thinking about that. Um, and that we are vulnerable to things that we cannot control no matter how all powerful we feel as human beings. Um, hopefully, you know, there would be a refocus on community. Uh, I live in a city where, you know, normally in January when there's two feet of snow on the ground, I can get pineapple at my local grocery store shipped in from Hawaii or wherever it comes from. And, you know, right now those things are not available to me. So maybe, and, and right now we're all refocused on community because that's what we have access to. And I think that might be a nice change for us uh, long, that could potentially sit with us long-term. And, you know, I also think a refocus on innovation. Uh, and again, this is both at the individual and at the company and hopefully at the government level as well. But hopefully next time before the crisis hits, right? And being aware of like, what is what is upcoming? Again, what are the risks to, to me, to my business, to my family, to my city, to my state? Uh, and how can I be one step ahead of that curve? And I do think we need innovation globally. Um, to keep things safe and moving. 
I found both the panel discussion and our interview incredibly inspiring and also very interesting. I'm even more encouraged that others understand that we are not alone. Our individual and country's decisions have a real impact now and on the future of our well-being. Sustainability is such a complex issue and unfortunately does not have a one-size-fits-all approach to resolution. It will take new ideas, individual behavioral changes, and Karen, as you mentioned, innovation in every aspect of life. I also felt very inspired during the interview and panel that people around the world are looking to make an impact in their own individual way, whether that be through their personal consumer dollars, impact investing, or even through the businesses that they work in and create. As Karen mentioned at the beginning of this episode, there is a lot from the Deep Talks discussion that we did not cover in this episode. To hear the full version, you can visit our website, redskiespodcast.com, or Julia and Allison's website, thedeeptalks.com. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Red Skies. For more information on today's episode and upcoming episodes, check out our website, redskiespodcast.com. As always, our goal is to share interesting stories and continue to learn. And don't forget to follow us at redskies underscore podcast on Instagram.